Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. Sherry, I like to think of us as nothing special. Me, too. <laughs> Um, that's not a very complimentary thing for me to say about my wonderful wife. Who doesn't take compliments, so it is the perfect thing to say. good point. You don't receive compliments well. But what I mean by that is, it's, when we talk about these topics surrounding alcohol, alcoholism, recovery, relationships, it's really important for me, for some reason, to think of us as one of the millions of people experiencing more or less the same thing with a few details that are different. And so if if I think of us as having unique experiences, then I don't feel much motivation for talking about that because I don't think it's probably going to be helpful. I want to relate to other people and their stories, and I want other people to relate to us. So it's always really important to me that um, the experiences that we're sharing are experiences that lots of other people experience. <laughs> So so we can all learn from each other. And I keep running into trouble with one particular word, the word victim. When I talk and write about my opinion about the word victim, I get a lot of pushback. And, you know, as you know, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not one that avoids conflict. I kind of relish conflict in kind of a sick weird way. No, I think that you like to have the other side of things and you like to listen to what the other person has to say and you want to kind of weigh it against your own and you looked at it's not that you're sick about it. You just like to educate yourself and figure out what other people are are in tune with. Well, I think so you're right. Don't I, disparage. I get excited when I find out I'm wrong about something because You've it's an opportunity something. to learn. Yeah. Right. Maybe this podcast will allow people to learn why victim isn't such a bad word if they continue to listen on. And, or maybe by talking about it for an extended period of time, I'll realize that I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I think you agree with me, though, so I don't think you're going to try to convince me otherwise. But, yeah, I get a lot of pushback on this word. And um, as much as I don't mind that that conflict, I, I think it's important. I think... Are the point of view that you and I share and others, others in the recovery community share is, I think it's important. So let, let's get into it so um, people will understand what the heck we're talking about. So victim is most definitely a stigmatized word. And I think when you've got a stigmatized word, you've got two choices for how to handle that. You can either own it and fight that stigma or you can pick a different word and stop using that word. To me, picking a different word is just kind of a cop-out. But it's what we tend to do in our society, in our culture. Um, right. It's it's what we do to be more politically correct. I can think of lots of areas where I am not even close to an expert, so I don't really want to go down those paths because I'm afraid I'm going to say something inadvertently that is offensive. But an area where we are, I would say, experts is, you know, when we talk about alcohol and alcohol abuse and alcoholism, alcoholism and alcoholic are most definitely stigmatized words. 
And there are a lot of people in the recovery community that just refuse to use those words and don't want to be labeled and find that that's an important part of their recovery. I understand and respect that. There are people in the recovery community that have taken to using a more scientific phrase as opposed to the word alcoholism. They talk about alcohol use disorder. That's how it'll be written in any medical journals and an increasing number of people talk using that that phrase. But for me, you know, I've said since the beginning when I first came out as an alcoholic that I want to use the word alcohol, alcoholic and alcoholism because I feel like owning it in a way just destigmatizes it in and of itself. So, it, you know, if I am if I call myself an alcoholic in writing or verbally, you know, it completely de-weaponizes it. If you are a critic of mine or you don't like me, if you're just not my friend, what are you going to do? Tease me about being an alcoholic when I've already called myself an alcoholic? It's probably not going to hurt very much if I own the label. Whereas if I avoid the label or I use alcohol use disorder, someone using that dirty word alcoholic could hurt my feelings, I guess. But So I, I prefer the idea of owning stigmatized words. I mean, and this is not an area that we haven't given some thought to are the name of our nonprofit that we run the podcast through, that we run the book through, that our Echoes of Recovery and Shout Sobriety group run through. The name of our nonprofit is Stigma. So the idea of stigma and what it means is near and dear to our hearts. And, you know, again, I feel like owning it is, uh, is much preferred to just changing the word or changing it to a phrase and then a few years down the road, we got to change it again because, uh-oh, you know, that word or that phrase is stigmatized now. Does that all make sense? Yes. It does. <laughs> having a little coughing fit over there. <clears throat> yeah. Um. Well, and I always just wonder, like, you know, I, I like to get right to the point. So alcohol use disorder. I succumb to alcohol use disorder. I'm in recovery. Like, it just seems like a lot. A lot of words? Yes. Yeah. And I know that... You know, the initials A-U-D. But I always wondered why it's not called alcohol abuse disorder. Is it because disorder implies that they're abusing it? I would assume. Yes. But I think that, like, that I think you it abuse wants, alcohol. I think it wants to encompass more than just, you know, binge drinking and over drinking. Um, yeah. I, I'm not sure what the fringe things are that we're trying to encompass by saying use yeah, instead I was of trying abuse. To think of I'm that. sure there's a scientific reason. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, we just, you know, we're not one that's keen on facts here. <laughs> so, <laughs> we probably could have looked that up, but we, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, even if there is a scientific reason. You know, the the phrase that gets thrown around that people know is alcoholism. And so we're just avoiding the stigma as opposed to taking on the stigma when mm -hmm. we choose that other word. It's like when we went to buy our daughter and help her shop for a previously owned vehicle instead of a used we car. to help our daughter buy. You said when we went to buy our daughter. Oh, sorry. We didn't buy our daughter. <laughs> I should just shut up and drink some coffee. <laughs> No, but I'm like, it kind of makes me think of that. Previously owned. Oh, yes, as opposed car. to used like, car. Yeah, so there's a Excellent lot of things point. just because it makes it sound nicer. But, you know, there's been a lot of use and abuse of the car that you, yeah, that someone else owned, you know. Yeah, I saw somewhere just recently that they're, 
they're now differentiating a previously owned car. <coughs> one of these, uh, some big dealership, a previously owned car is a car that's from the last eight years or something like that, but a used car, that's a 10-year-plus car. So that's how they're differentiating now. So that they can bring that word back into the lexicon with a defined meaning. So it'd be like... So if you, you want know. an old clunker, call it a used car. <laughs> yeah. a previously owned car. But yeah, it's a great example. Now we're all just confused. Yeah. What the hell do we car, call a car that somebody else drove before we drove it? Right. Excellent point. Well, so the specific stigmatized word that we want to talk about today is victim. Um, I have contended for years now that there are multiple victims of alcoholism. Uh, the spouse of the alcoholic, for sure. The family, you know, the kids, the parents, the close friends. All of those people are victims of alcohol of alcoholism. But in my opinion, the drinker is a victim as well. And the alcohol itself is the perpetrator. Because it changes all people. That's something... That's something you agree with, right? That alcohol changes all the people involved, whether it be the drinker or the family or the close friends. Absolutely. I mean, I know I have hated the victim mentality status, you know, that sort of like playing the victim. I, yes. I don't I don't like that personality trait, but I understand how sometimes people um, use that, but it keeps them stuck and it keeps them from growing. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's definitely a big part of this that we're going to talk about. I did have to kind of learn to accept that, yes, we were victims of alcohol. We were victims of big corporation. We were victims of society influence, thinking alcohol is great. In fact, I looked up the definitions for victim. That made me feel like, well, yeah, those are totally what. We are. Well, let's hear it. Okay. What so, do the interwebs so say? I, so I think that this is from the Oxford Dictionary. But I think this is the this is the first definition that pops up, and this is the first image, I think, that pops up in people's heads. That's why they don't want to be the victim. So this definition is a person harmed, injured, or killed as a result of a crime, accident, or an event or action. Okay. So I think that's what they're like, I'm not a, I'm not a victim. This one is the one that makes me think, and I hope that people will reconsider what victim and how they are victims. A person who is tricked or duped. The victim of a hoax is like, you know, just an example. Yeah. But tricked or duped. Yeah. So we are tricked by commercials. We are tricked by the alco big alcoholic beverages. We are tricked, family culture. Some I was going we are tricked by our families. Some of us come into this thinking alcohol is a necessary part of growing into adulthood. Yeah. And society, yeah. So I'm like, that totally is. And with the fact that we're duped, well, it is, you know, it's like duping the alcoholic's brain that makes you then gaslight and lie. Yeah. So it's not you. And I don't want to say, go so far as to say like brainwashing. You haven't been involved in a cult but really, when you look at like, are you sure? I was going to say, but when you look at it, alcoholism from the time you start college, if you are a drinker and you go or down high school, even yeah, like when you get into you know a fraternity or sorority, it becomes very cult like, and alcoholism is the alcohol is the center of that. Absolutely. I mean, you and I worked at a college bar that honed in on those, um, you know, athletes and fraternities and sorority people. It was right off of campus. That in itself was a cult. I used to say that I jokingly 
I used to jokingly say that I majored in in alcohol, basically, and my actual or majored in partying, I guess, is the way yeah. I would have said that. But and that my actual degree fields were my minor because I spent less time on those than I did in the party culture. So yeah, you're right. It's very cult like, no question. Duped or hoax? So take- no, nowhere in that definition does it say anything about being stuck, staying stuck, um, you know, feeling sorry for yourself. No. I think that's an important differentiation because we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But you're right. People think of victim as, oh, you know, that's a dirty word. I can't acknowledge that I'm a victim of something because that acknowledges weakness. That acknowledges that I can't move forward, um, that I'm not processing things properly. And I, I, I think that's going too far. I think that's, you know, where the pulp, the pop culture definition, the current kind of sentiment around the word victim is. And that's the thing we've got to fight. Because, um, there, you know, if you're a victim, you're a victim. And there is relief involved in acknowledging that you're a victim. There's progress and growth involved in acknowledging you're a victim. And we're going to talk about that. A lot of the people that we work with are, you know, what we would define as high-functioning alcoholics. And what I mean by that is they have maintained jobs. I mean, maybe they've had some job loss, but they're still, they found another one and they're still working. They haven't lost everything. Most people in their life don't realize that their drinking is a problem. Maybe only their close family and close friends realize that they've gone across that invisible line of addiction. Um, They are holding their family together. They, you know, drive a functioning car and live in a home and and from all outward appearances, alcohol doesn't appear to be causing issues. Now, you know, as you and I know, because this is a category that I fell into, the trauma on the inside is real. I mean, I was dealing with debilitating depression and anxiety. Our marriage was falling apart. We were having a negative impact on the kids. Um, we weren't financially distraught, but... Alcohol was costing us unnecessary money, for sure. So there's all kinds of things going on in the background. But for the people that fall into the category of high-functioning alcoholic, they're holding it together. And people that fall into that category, they tend to have a strong sense of responsibility and a strong work ethic. Uh, In fact, most of the people that I know that we work with, I would say that their identity is so intertwined with their career that they can't distinguish between the two. So all of their self-esteem, you know, all their, you know, motivation is centered around work. And, um, and the, it is such a central part in their lives that they do work-like things to, to keep, to keep it, uh, Keep it all together. So, like, I'm trying to get to the word accountability. Um, <laughs> just, just say it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if you know, we're taught in a in a work culture that we have to be accountable for our actions. We have to do the job we're assigned. Um, we have to make sure that things get done. Uh, the buck stops with us, right? We've got our certain set of responsibilities, and we've got to make things happen. And as it relates to uh, alcoholism, I think the same that same mentality comes into play with high functioning alcoholics. 
certainly it did at first with me. You know, once I was willing to admit the fact that I was drinking too much and that my drinking was actually an addiction, um, I took all accountability for fixing that. I've got to find the solution. I've got to quit. I've got to be a better man. I've got to be a better husband. I've got to be a better father. Um, This is all on me, me, me. And there was no willing, and all the trauma and damage that had been done was my fault. That was my initial reaction. Again, accountability. High-functioning alcoholics tend to take accountability and never shirk accountability. And again, I think that ties into that sense of responsibility and that work ethic that we've all that we all all have ingrained in us. And we're just unable to recognize ourselves as a victim. And I think there are two reasons for that. You know, one, that accountability piece. I was the one, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this too. I was the one that lifted the drink to my lips over and over again. So how can I blame anyone else? How can I blame society or culture or my family history if I'm the one that kept picking up the drink and putting it to my mouth? Um, and I get that, but but I think there's nuance here and there's um, you're just not taking all the factors into consideration if if you look at it that way, there's more going on than just our own actions as far as the influence of things around us. Like you were talking about, once you get into college, the the fraternity, the athletics, all that culture is driving people. And when I say athletics, I mean spectator of athletics for sure. Although you and I knew some athletes at our Big Ten Indiana University. When it was not their season. That when, Yeah, they <laughs> could party like nobody. Actually... They were terrible partners. They got drunk super fast and were obnoxious. For the rugby team, they were there all the time. Yeah. Didn't matter if they were in season or not. That's true. That's true. But so I think when we want to take all the responsibility and accountability and say, this is all on me. I drink too much because I lifted all these drinks to my lips. Me, 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 my fault, my fault, my fault. We're not taking into account the reality of the things going on around us. Right. And I'm just going to throw in there... um, I did that to you. I was like, you're choosing to drink. Right. You know, in the beginning, I'd be like, don't you think you need to slow down? Do you think you need to drink this much? You know, all that sort of stuff. And then, you know, I did it. I'm like, you're the one that still goes to the liquor store and gets it. You know, you're the one that chooses the friends. You're the one that chooses the the lunch spots that have alcohol. Like you're, you're making your life set up for alcohol, not ever taking into consideration or understanding because I didn't have the knowledge that the brain was changing. Yeah. I mean, I had seen tons of drinking and drugs in high school and college. You would have thought that I would have just, like, by osmosis picked this up, that that my friends aren't choosing to be this way all the time. They have a problem. They have an affliction. Then they become addicted. Yeah. You know, you... And with my dad, you know. Yeah. You think that I would, like, understand that. But no, that took a while to figure out that there was brain chemistry that was driving you to do this and then having the social factors and having your family celebrate it and it's in every situation you know and then we've got society it's hard we i mean we only have access to whatever they say 10 percent of our brain on a conscious level right and 90 percent of it's taking care of background I tasks should i have or... looked that fact up before the <laughs> eh, close enough 10 percent ish um but whatever it is we don't give credit to the fact that the majority of our brain is taking place without our awareness. And so 
I was the same way. Even when I was the one that was addicted, I was like, this is ludicrous. Of course I can keep myself from having my right arm pick up this glass bottle and lift the nozzle of it to my face hole. Like, that seems like such a, a concrete, concretely conscious action. But you're right. Once you learn about the brain chemistry stuff, you realize, no. Uh, and muscle memory. You can't just stop. Yeah. Muscle memory there. Yeah, that's I, right. Yeah. Doing my 12-ounce curls, as they say. But so, so you know, one of the two reasons that we struggle so mightily to recognize ourselves as a victim is because of that accountability piece. But the other part of it is the stigmatization of the word victim. We associate victim with weakness. This is where I've noticed lots of high-functioning alcoholics really push back. No, I'm not a victim because... Uh, you know, I don't want to get lumped into uh, victim mode. You know, I don't want to get lumped into the negativity surrounding that word. So it is just another stigmatized word. But if you think about it, if you are, you know, driving down the road and somebody plows into you with their car and then drives away, you are the victim of a hit and run. I mean, there's not another really... Uh, appropriate word or there's not another word that's quite as exacting and descriptive as calling you a victim of a hit and run. If a hurricane hits your town, you're a victim of a hurricane. Yeah. You know? Nowhere in the descriptions that I read and I just wanted to double check was like, it doesn't say anything about weak. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't say anything about no, it. No, that's all. where we've stigmatized it. You're right. You're right. So it doesn't say anything about weak. Interesting. Doesn't say anything about getting locked in and getting stuck, but that's how we think of the word victim. Mm -hmm. You're weak and you're locked in and you're stuck. So, you know, I just, again, make the point that we are victims of alcohol um, just as much as we could be a victim of a hurricane or a victim of a hit and run. Um, notice I didn't pick an illness that has, uh, you know, another illness besides alcoholism that has, um, you know, uh, personality traits, not personality, uh, lifestyle as part of it. So, you know, I didn't say you're a victim of lung cancer because I want to stay out of the controversial discussions about, oh, well, you lifted those cigarettes to your lips. Um, so being a victim of something is not necessarily uh, a dirty word or a sign of weakness. These things happen. And, and I, again, I think we are victims of alcohol just like we're victims of other natural disasters, because alcohol is definitely a natural disaster. Or we are victims of the food industry. Yes. You know, so if you don't want to accept that responsibility of claiming victim, I mean, if you were our age, right? Like, we grew up when... Processed you know, foods? Processed foods, and, you know, like, you could... I won't bore everybody with all this, but... Matt, you uh, have watched a lot of food documentaries and, you know, along with nutrition and health and brain chemistry. And, and we owned a business that we really prided ourselves in um, trying to serve, like, clean, healthy eating foods in a lot of ways. But, I mean, you know, you guys were all having ice cream the other night. And I was like, I am not having ice cream at the end of the day. Well, I was in the middle of my family that was all enjoying ice cream. And it looked really good. And I know it tastes good. So and it's a little sugar, so I had some damn ice cream. Yep. You were the victim of us <laughs> in the food industry. But yeah, it's all yeah. around you. 
Absolutely. One of the things that you and I like, a, a way that we like to look at, you know, an alcoholic relationship is that there are three people involved. Um, and we got this from We Are Recovery, uh, their Facebook page and the program that they run. And they were actually, um, you know, guests on the podcast way back. Um, Anna and Anna Mitchell. Mitchell. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I had kind of thought about that. Like, it's just not him. But then when yeah. Anna said, you have to look at it like there are three people in the relationship. The alcoholic, the partner, and the husband. Yes. Or the, or the male partner, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So the two spouses as individuals, and then the alcoholic is the third wheel that's not invited and not not wanted. Yeah, that usually sits right in between the two of you. Yes, that allows us to blame the alcohol and really see the alcohol as the problem. The drinker's not the problem. The spouse isn't the problem. The alcohol is the problem. And it, it ends the shame spiral. It helped for me to end the shame spiral. And the reason that that's so important is because there is nothing more critical to recovery for either side, for the alcoholic or for the spouse, than self-esteem. We've been saying that for a long time now. And if you're constantly in a shame spiral, then there's no way to build your own self-esteem naturally. Now, if you blame the alcohol instead of the alcoholic, if you consider yourself to be a victim of alcoholism as the drinker, not just as the spouse, but as the drinker, if you consider yourself to be the victim of alcohol and the culture and big big beverage and all of that stuff, then you are able to get out of that shame spiral and build your self-esteem faster. When you reject the title or the label of victim and say, no, I did this to myself, I mean, that's staying stuck. That's staying stuck in, in this um, you know, accountability responsibility, which are good things, don't get me wrong, but if you take all the accountability and all the responsibility for all the drinking and don't give any of that over to the society we live in and all the places and people that are trying so damn hard to get you addicted to this stuff, whether they'll admit it or not, if you own all of that yourself and refuse to look at yourself as a victim, you're going to stay stuck in the shame spiral and it makes... Self-esteem building impossible. And this is one of the main reasons, in my humble opinion, that there are literally millions of alcoholics and that recovery is so impossible and that relapse is so frequent because you can't build enough self-esteem to get out of the shame spiral. So calling yourself a victim is a huge blessing. Well, I'm also going to throw this out, and I'm being a little controversial perhaps, but... If you have, as the drinker, all that responsibility, accountability, I did it, I did it, I did it, well, you must be fucking spectacular to do that. I mean, how super, how much of a superhero or superpowers do you have that you were able to become an alcoholic based on your actions actions without any other influence? Yeah. I mean, we didn't even talk about heredity, brain chemistry that already might be happening, Mm -hmm. you know? Already things that you childhood inherited. Childhood trauma that you, happens to you. Things you inherited that you didn't even know were You're there. Definitely a victim of the childhood trauma. And if yeah. that causes you to drink, then... Self-medication. You, yeah. or, or trauma that you've experienced in, you know, adults. So, so yeah, I'm like, we must have either a world full of superhero alcoholics if they 
want to be stuck. Yeah. I mean, that just... Well, and let's talk about that for a minute. We've, we've, we've nibbled around the edges of it. But you definitely, you know, we have to acknowledge, you definitely can get stuck in victim mode. You know, I didn't, when I came to the realization that I was the victim of alcohol, and I was as much a victim as, as you were and the rest of our family, um, that created great relief for me because it allowed me to move forward and say, okay, here's first step. I got to get sober. I got to stay sober. I got to try to become a better father. I got to work on myself. I got to find growth that's beyond just sobriety. Um, I could easily have just said, oh, I'm a victim. I'm going to sit in my room and drink vodka because I'm a victim of vodka. You know, th- so there is a differentiation. There is action required. Victim mode is real. It is a thing. You can't stay stuck in victim mode. But if you're working on your sobriety and if you believe in recovery, if you believe that there's more to sobriety than just not drinking, you've got to make progress, then claiming your victim status is actually beneficial. If if you're just going to use it as an excuse to sit on your bed and drink vodka out of the bottle and slowly or die until you quickly start to die, um, then yeah, then victim mode is terrible. Yeah, there has to be some action behind the words that you're saying. Because it made me think when you were talking about saying when you came to the idea that you were a victim of the alcohol. And when we tried to present that in a conversation with your family, your mother, your father, your adult sister, and her husband, Mm -hmm. it was met with great disgust. They acted like you were not going to apologize for your actions. I think that was their big hang-up. They wanted to see more accountability. They wanted to see more of you. I don't know if they wanted more groveling, more contriteness, whatever it was. But you said, I'm not going to apologize that I was a victim of alcohol. That, you know, I'm sorry for the things I have done. I can't be, you know, be hanging my head low and shameful. And I, I don't know. That was the feeling I got. Yeah, no, I... I, and I, I mean, things have changed too. and gotten better, but I feel like when you present it, you're going to have to have, it is going to be met with a little bit of reluctance Yeah. until you, if you have an opportunity to explain it, or you don't really have to share it. And you just take that within yourself and with your close friends, you know, you don't have to. I'm glad you brought that scene up because it makes me think of another word that's associated with high functioning alcoholics and that's arrogance. I, as a drinker, I was very arrogant. I know that I still sometimes come across as arrogant, for sure. So I can own that. Um, but I think when... So, like, for instance, when we had that discussion with my family, they were used to me being arrogant, you know, making bad jokes at other people's expense, um, denying the idea that drinking was ever a problem, acting like I had everything in control... And then when I come and we have a, our first family serious discussion about, you know, my disease and I'm shirking the blame, um, I, I'm sure that came across as arrogant too. So, again, when we talk about how victim is a stigmatized word, I think that's another piece of it. I think a lot of the people that we work with, Sherry, a lot of the people that I know that I've had this discussion with and I've said, oh, You are a victim of your alcoholism just like your family is. And they say, no, 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 I'm not a victim. I think part of that is 
you know, it sounds arrogant to always be blaming somebody else or to mm-hmm. not taking responsibility. Yeah. The responsibility taking is in comes in the recovery. That's yes. right. It comes in what do you do next? It doesn't come in, you know, I'm responsible for the bad things that happen. If a hurricane knocks your house down, um, you've got steps to take to rebuild. That's the responsibility. But at the same time as you're taking those steps to rebuild and dealing with the insurance and doing whatever you have to do in a horrible situation like that, you're still the victim of the hurricane that hit. Yeah. And that's where I think, again, there's nuance. There, this is, because it's a stigmatized word, it it's hard for people to get past the stigma and look at the details. But I think it's really freaking important for people to recognize that that you know that you are the victim of this disease um that there's nothing arrogant about acknowledging that uh the work that needs to be done the accountability is in the progress and moving forward yeah glad you brought that up and for the record my family has i think come a long way in uh in their understanding of the disease and the brain chemistry stuff yeah and um you know things aren't perfect but they're way better Right. Uh, certainly with my family and our mutual understanding. But I'm glad you brought that up. I, had, I, I hadn't thought about that as it relates to this, but you're absolutely right. So don't get stuck. Don't get stuck in victim mode. You know, we're here talking about the importance of the word victim and the fact that everybody involved in an alcoholic family is a victim. But... The idea of using that as an excuse to continue drinking and to, to continue making things bad because, oh, I have a disease. Oh, there's nothing I can do about it. That's bullshit. There's lots you can do about it. Um, you know, there's so many, such a variety of different programs out there that are available now from the one that everyone knows the best, Alcoholics Anonymous, to lots and lots of different options from, you know, three months of inpatient or six months of inpatient to a program like ours online, Shout Sobriety or Smart Recovery um, is something we hear a lot of good things about. So there's just no shortage of options and staying stuck shouldn't be one of them. Admitting you're a victim and moving forward is the way to go, but not acknowledging you're a victim, it takes away that release valve, that opportunity to get out of the shame cycle and stop blaming yourself and say, you know, that happened. That happened to me. Yes, I was a contributor, but in large part, it happened to me. And so I'm not going to wallow in the the shame and blame game. I'm going to move forward. Because remember, Super the important. big beverage has a lot of psychologists that help Absolutely. advertise. So. I mean, we don't need to go into the details, but there's a lot of work to get you convinced that it is good. Yeah. And then if you have a family that grows up celebrating it as well as, you know, um, Using drinking, their, drinking their blues away. Yeah, that's you right. Know? Morning, I mean, celebration, all of it. Yeah. If yep. it's something that you're just surrounded by and it's so advertised and prevalent. Yeah. You weren't you weren't a victim, you weren't weak. You were just convinced and hoaxed and coaxed. You know. You are a victim. I mean, you I'm sorry. You aren't weak. You aren't weak. Yes. Yeah. You aren't weak. And you don't have to stay stuck there. 
Sherry, you are a victim of my obsessive opinionization. <laughs> I think we should state that for the record. That's got to suck. How do you move forward from that? Well, you have very strong outer coding, and you have a good sense of what you believe within. So you can... And unfortunately, <laughs> you have to listen to all of it. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.